Vahini Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen. No flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. Hey, howdy, hey. And thank you for joining us here on Enchanted Tiki Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Alan. I'm Keith. So grab yourself a Dole Whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 48 for the week of September 21st, 2014. With food and wine starting this past weekend, we wanted to do a food and wine show, but not your typical food and wine show where you're focused well on, you know, the food and wine. We wanted to talk about some of the musical acts that are performing there. We had the opportunity to speak with two of the artists who are performing during food and wine. Jim Brickman, who is a concert pianist, and Scotty from Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. We felt that these two acts filled out the broad spectrum of artists that are going to be performing at the Eat to the Bee concert series. You have um, Jim Brickman, who is just an um, instrumental artists, which allows more interpretation of some of the the music that's happening. Then you have uh, Scotty and Big Bad Blue Daddy, who, you know, are a, uh, a nine-piece orchestra. They're a, a big band music coming from an era, really a bygone era, that isn't really seen as much today. So, but they're both incredible artists, and it's just fun to listen to all the the people that are out there performing, you know, each week for Food and Wine Festival. And it's something that, you know, people should spend more time on. That's Disney. Granted, you can go there for the food and go there for the drinks. But sometimes it's really the musical acts that perform, that that bring the people in and, and, you know, what drives people to food and wine. And, you know, we just thought it would be a lot of fun to actually speak with these artists. There truly is uh, something for everybody. I mean, just uh, from the schedule, I mean, you've got the Pointer Sisters to Hanson to Richard Marks and Boys to Men. I mean, it's really like encompassing everyone's like musical taste. And yes, that pun was intended. Also, it's a chance for you to, to kind of see other uh, like genres of music that you might not be interested in and, and get a chance to express other things too and it you might be a fan of theirs after that so it's it's a really good mix of music yeah i love the eat to the beat concert series i think it's um you know it's it's a good opportunity if you're a fan of any of those acts it's a great opportunity for you to see these acts really up close um uh, my wife is a big sister hazel fan we were down there last uh last year during food and wine and happened to be there when they were playing so we uh, got in line and waited to go see them and we sat like second row right up front so i mean you know that's as a fan of of that band that was really fun for her to be able to be up close uh you know to a band that she's listened to since high school really and so if you're if you're a fan of any of those acts it's a great opportunity for you to see them in a different environment than you're used to seeing them uh and even if you're not a fan of those acts um you know everybody that's playing has at least one or two popular songs that you probably heard on the radio when they were, you know, when they were big hits. And even if you choose not to go, you know, wait in line and, and see them in the theater, you're still going to hear the music and you can sing along with those popular songs. And uh, I think the Eat to the Beat concert series is, is a lot of fun and it's definitely worth checking out if, if you're going to be down there during Food and Wine Festival. Up first, we are honored to have America's premier pianist with us, and you can see him from October 23rd and 24th at Epcot's Eat to the Beat series. Please welcome Jim Brickman to the Tiki Hut. 
Thanks so much. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you so much for uh, uh, spending some time with us today. You know, we're big fans of uh, of Disney and and of, of your music as well. So we just wanted to have you come on and um, answer some questions for us and our audience. So we appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you. Were you a Disney fan growing up as a kid? I was. In fact, the very first movie experience I ever had was uh, Mary Poppins. And I didn't re- actually remember how old I was until... They just celebrated the 50th anniversary, so I calculated that by my age and figured out that I was uh, approximately three. Wow. <laughs> so it was a shocking way to, to find that out, but I was when I was a little kid and I, and I had seen Mary Poppins, um, I was so enamored by the music and so taken with it that I, um, I, you know, I would just sing the songs all the time. I mean, just that, that's a little bit of the way that my parents knew that I had a musical talent and, and just a, a real interest in music. And a lot of it was driven from that. Um, I, had the, uh, I had the LP and I played it constantly. And according to my mom, um, I was so obsessed with it that I was insistent upon trying to call Dick Van Dyke on the phone because I tell him <laughs> how much I like the movie, which I thought was interesting because at, you know if I was four years old uh, to distinguish the fact that it, it wasn't Bert, it was Dick Van Dyke is sort of interesting. Right. <laughs> I really, I thought, well, why, you know I didn't say I wanted to call Bert on the phone. I said I want to call Dick Van Dyke. So I don't know what good. that was about. <laughs> so music was something that you had early. What made you choose the piano over another instrument? You know, I, I, I say this all the time about uh, all kinds of different talents. You know, you're, you're gravitate, you gravitate towards something, and um, sometimes it's a subtle uh, attraction, but I was, you know, I was very taken with um, music and any kind of melody and energy and and I think it wasn't so much uh because we didn't have a piano so you know we had neighbors that that had a piano and I think um it was just it was there you know it was just there and I and I related to sitting down and being able to to express well not express myself because I didn't know how to do that then I just banged mostly but I played melody you know um uh, a lot of times if a child will sit down at the piano and they just bang on it and don't play notes, then um, then that that really it, it kind of indicates that they don't have a melodic sense; they're more of a rhythmic, you know, right. sense. And um, and so I think that that was how uh, more than anything. It wasn't from my parents. Uh, I I didn't have a family that listened to a lot of music. We didn't go to a lot of concerts. It was music wasn't really around me. I am from um, right outside of uh, Akron, Ohio, so I just have to ask you this. What was your like, favorite part of like growing up in Ohio? Well, you know, I, I lived there pretty much my whole life until my late 20s and then I moved to California, and, um, and I lived there for 20 years. But I recently moved back because I really, I think no matter where you're from and if you spend a real formative years in one place, your whole sensibility of the way you look at the world comes from that environment. And when I say that, what I mean is it was, it wasn't idyllic, nobody's childhood is, but um, the, the environment 
was pretty happy, you know. It was suburban Cleveland. It was, um, you know, four seasons and, you know, really good friends and very creative people around me growing up and a lot of support for my for my creativity and um, really strong work ethic uh, that, that helped me kind of on my path. You know, a really good, it's cliche to say, but, you know, a really kind of wholesome um, Midwest upbringing. So you began your career uh, creating jingles and whatnot, if I'm correct. Is there any that we would probably recognize? Well, actually, um, it's interesting. I, when I first moved to, for, you know, for a long time, in, when I was in Cleveland, I did pretty much any product that locally, every mall, every bank, every jewelry store, every, you know, every product. But then when I moved to California, one of my very first jobs was scoring the um, commercials for Euro, at the time it was Euro Disneyland, uh, Disney, Euro Disney. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And 1993, so it was, was when I moved there. And um, and I went, uh, I went over there at the very beginning of the launch of, you know, what's now Disneyland Paris. Uh, it was called Euro Disney at the time, and, and um, I was hired to do the commercials and score them. So uh, I'll have to find that somewhere and put, put it on the website or share it with you guys because it's, uh, they're beautiful, beautiful spots. And um, they were all instrumental, and they were all Disney songs, but uh, it was scoring the TV commercials. And so, um, so for, I did a lot of, of local commercials, and then for a while I spent time in Chicago doing a few more national spots and a few more things for McDonald's and Kellogg's and Pontiac and Keebler and a bunch of things like that. But, you know, it's going on like, gee, like 25 years. So there are not many that are still around. There's some regional ones that are, but I'll go to certain towns where I know that one of my songs still plays and, you know, I get a kick out of playing it in concert. <laughs> Does it does it instantly bring you back to the the memory of creating that um, particular melody? You know, I don't I, like like everything in life. I don't feel like it was that long ago. I'm right. still working with a couple of the people that I that I worked with then, and and even when I listen, you know, I have I have more uh, chance to listen to my work uh, because it it comes up all the time when when people are asking for nostalgic things so it's not so much i think if i weren't if i weren't in the career i have there wouldn't be that much interest in in my past the way there is now but so i tend to be more you know listen to it probably more often than i would if i didn't but i um i listen to it and i think you know this is really good and when i when i hear it i can hear the evolution of the songwriter and i can see the sort of the path and, and how it got to be. It makes sense when when you're able to, to look back at it, you can you can see how it naturally evolved. Right. And um, that's kind of interesting because you hear there's certain certain melody choices, even in the jingles, that are certain ways that I phrase something or and at the time too, uh, a lot of people who are celebrated now did commercials. I had Michael Bolton on a couple of my spots, and then, you know, we worked together later on on the Disney. Uh, he's on the album. Uh, I mean, he's on this TV special that we did from from Disney World. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So a lot of people, Cindy Lauper did, Mark Cohn used to sing jingles, even Whitney Houston sang a lot of commercials early on. So it was um, it was a great you know training ground as a songwriter. So was it your work for uh, Euro Disney? Is that kind of going back to that? Is that what caused you or made you decide to want to do the albums that you've released? Uh, the Disney albums or just Disney any album? Your Disney, your Disney song album. Oh, Disney yeah, songbook. No, Disney Disney songbook is a was a complete evolution from my childhood, and uh, you know what started with what started for me, like I said, with with Mary Poppins, continued on uh, through you know pretty much every classic sixties uh, and seventies Disney movie, you know, and so because of that. I think uh, the sensibility is very, very much what influenced me. And when I say that, what I mean is emotional, hopeful, inspirational, you know, of course, magical, and um, <laughs> but idealistic, and which is really the same way I describe my songwriting. So I think that the, there's a parallel, and, and the, the parallel, it's not a parallel, it's an influence which is why I write the way I do. So it came very naturally for me to interpret these songs. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't play a lot of them. Like, there were a handful of them that later on, as I became more of an adult, that I wasn't, that I, didn't, I didn't see, you know, something like Little Mermaid because it was, you know, I was, a, I was an adult. Um, I did, I, you know, you're not as impressionable and enamored the way you are as a kid. But the theatrical nature... Uh, you know, I'm much more of a performer and much more interested in the theatricality of my shows and the um, style and the melody and things like that than that I am a. I don't think of myself as uh, necessarily as a pop artist. I think of myself as you know, I, mostly I do theater and very you know romantic, emotional, all the things I just described about what I think. Disney music is. What was the uh, like process like of doing that that songbook album? Was there like like red tape with Disney, or is it like hard to like take those songs and kind of like Brickmanize them for for a lack of a better term? Because the the medleys were just like fantastic on there. It wasn't hard, believe it or not. It was actually very easy. They couldn't have been nicer and easier to easy to work with. And uh, for a long time, they let me use some of the footage that's in the TV special on tour with me. And oh, we cool. had video video of, you know, Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and all these kinds of wonderful things for the shows. And that was, that was amazing. Um, but it was, uh, no, it was a very pleasant experience. There was no drama, no hassles. And they asked me if I would write the uh, new song for the release of Cinderella the re-release of Cinderella DVD was coming out. So that's when I wrote Beautiful uh, that Wayne Brady sings. And mm -hmm. the direction was to write something that, that was about the first time that Cinderella or the prince saw Cinderella at the ball. And it was, they said, you know, the first time he sees her. And so to me, that was a, that's a love at first sight moment, which is why the beginning lyric came to me right away to, mm -hmm. to say, from the moment I saw you, from the, you know, I, I tried to imagine a character, what the character would, would be thinking or saying. 
And so um, that was, you know, that was the closest that I've gotten so far to writing something for a Disney movie, which would be amazing. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, I, I appropriate that song to writing it for a movie, even though obviously it's not. But I, um, no, it was a very pleasant experience. Very pleasant. So when you're composing an instrumental, do you actually see the, um, the words in your mind, the lyrics in your mind? Some, some, I mean, people assume that there are lyrics, placeholder lyrics to every instrumental song because it sounds so melodic. It, and a lot of my songs sound like they're just the instrumental version of a vocal right. song, but there is no such thing. I think that's just by nature of my melodic sense. And so in a way, I, I think I hear singing in my head, uh, melody singing in my head when I'm, when I'm writing, but it doesn't, it's not very specific or clear. It's, it's more just of a guide in my head. It, um, you know, I don't necessarily hear somebody specific singing or specific words. Um, occasionally I do, but for the most part, it's, um, for the most part, it's, uh, it's not really based on lyrics. It's based on what my hands naturally do when I play, which is always write a, a theme uh, that always returns just like any good chorus or, you know, that, that is emotional but is not complex and not too what I call flouncy. In other words, it doesn't, um, there's not too much going on all the time, which I, I you know, I, a lot of times I'll listen to other solo piano music or instrumental and I, and I always feel like they're trying to fill up the space, uh, either that or show their technique or something. And to me, space is half or it's just as important as the sound is the silence because that's what creates music is the, right. is the combination of those things. And so you have to let it breathe and let it be emotional. And um, my fingers naturally go to a very melodic place. And if I come up with a melody that I like uh, and I think it's good, then I start repeating it rather than going off to another idea. So do you do you get to go to the Disney parks often? And uh, if so, you know, do you, do you enjoy your time there? Is that a vacation destination for you? Well, you know, I went so often when I was recording the the album and the the TV special that it was, I must have gone, gee, I don't know, 20 times in, in, um, in a year. So wow. after that, I was, I was sort of ready for a little bit of a break, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Um, but then I was asked to do a couple of the cruise, the cruises. And so um, I did that for a couple of years as well. And uh, I did the, when the first um, voyage to Europe, uh, with them, and um, another time in the Canary Islands, I flew over and did that. So I feel like you know the connection is is pretty is pretty strong. So I you know I, I occasionally I, I did a um, think what I what I like to do, and I think this way about most of the vacation spots that I play is that I know that coming up sometime soon there's going to be a time when I'll be in Orlando or I'll be there doing a corporate event or for some reason. And so I, um, I tend to build my vacations around, you know, the fact that I'm already there. So I, there's not a lot of places that I go that I simply go for the destination. 
What was that like perform at night at Main Street for the Songbook DVD? I mean, like just the like visual to like fans was really really good. Well, it was you know it was a gorgeous night, but it happened to be at the time filmed for two nights, and one of the nights Katrina, the hurricane, had just started to come across Florida. Oh, and wow. so we had to rush everything and it was it was very intense because uh we only had a certain amount of time before they had to take everything down and that was very nerve-wracking because you know when you're performing and they're filming it you have to really look calm and right you know but uh what was i would say the coolest part of it was the what they call the walk and talk the opening where i was on main street and there were only like five of us there and nobody was there, which was just incredible. I mean, it was just bizarre. You know, you just <laughs> never see that. And so yeah. it felt so strange, um, but in a cool way, you know, you know, I'm sure there's not a lot of people who get to see that. And so I thought, I thought that was cool. So you could you can see that at the beginning when I'm walking and talking about the, the special and, um, it's, uh, it was cool. It was really cool. And, um, you know, like anything though, you, with those kinds of things, there was so much, the production was, was very intense and a lot of special guests, which always makes things difficult because mm -hmm. you, you have, uh, whenever you're dealing with guest talent of any kind, especially stars, and you know, there's always a handful of them that are amazing and easygoing and everything, and there's always a handful that aren't, no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that's always kind of a pain. But um, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, it was very, it was it was wonderful experience, and they were. They really supported that, you know, Walt Disney Records and just the whole team in L.A. was really uh, especially hardworking on, on that particular project. They really believed in it and they they were very involved. And it was they they by no means, you know, sent me on my own or something like that. And said, OK, well, let us know how it goes or something. You know, they treated us really well. And um it was a very, you know, um, special moment. I always remember. Now, you're going to be performing in Epcot in um, just about a month away or so for the uh, Epcot yeah. Food and Wine Festival, the E to the B. Mm -hmm. Now, yep. it's extremely popular every year. People absolutely love the performers that go there. So for you, what is it that you're looking most forward to there, and what should people expect from you performing there? Well, you know, um, of course, I'm thrilled to be coming back. Uh, what, what what I love about it is the environment is already joyful. People are there for a joyful reason. And because it's not a uh, sit-down, you know, event, uh, concert, I always like to do things that I'm not used to doing. And this is one of them. You know, I'm, I'm very conditioned to indoor theater, intermission, you know, the, I'm, I'm very conditioned to that. So uh, I love doing things like this, and especially outside. Love, you know, doing things outside. Um, and that's uh, my music is always cool. Um, plus you can see people, which a lot of times I can't see people when I'm doing that. 
And um, the combination of food and music to me is uh, a natural. Right. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm thrilled that they invited me to do it. And it'll be, um, you know, it's, uh, with me, it's always hit. It always starts with hits, hits and favorites. And if there's time for new stuff, uh, I do it. And if there's not, I, you know, I mostly do hits. Because I feel like if I, you know, if you're lucky enough to have hit songs, then I think you should play them in your concert because people expect to hear it. Right, right. So now everybody that you know, everybody that comes on our show, we have we ask them the same five questions, no matter who they are. It's just uh, to get a general idea of, of what they are as a uh, as a semi fan of, of Disney. Um, what is your favorite snack in the parks? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Gosh, I have to go with uh, custard. Okay. Your favorite attraction? Favorite attraction is the, um, let me get this right, because it's, um, I think it's the Dumbo ride. Uh, that's okay. a good one. Yeah. Your favorite that. character. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, it's, so, it's so calming, the Dumbo ride. <laughs> it's a classic, too. I mean. yeah. yeah. Dumbo's been a, it's a classic. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Dumbo. Yeah, gosh. Um, so many, so many characters. How do you, how do you, limit it, you know, and probably 99% of everybody's with Mickey. I, um, <laughs> Surprisingly, I, uh, I think we've only had one Mickey. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, really? Well, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to take the easy answer. So <laughs> oh, the easy one? Well, I, I do because to me, um, it's the symbol. And, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I don't relate to Goofy because I'm not a Goofy person, so that would be no on that. And um, I, uh, I, uh, I had, I did do some dancing with uh, princesses, which was very fun as well. Um, so that there was, uh, there was some of that footage that I don't know ever got in the special, and that was especially pleasant. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, now you said before that uh, the Mary Poppins really inspired you in your career. So yes. is that, was that your favorite Disney movie? Absolutely, without okay. without question, yes. And the last question is: Do you have a favorite Disney park memory? Well, yeah, I think we we just talked about it. I, I have. I mean, it's uh, it's unique to me. But you know, being able to walk down Main Street um, at uh, two o'clock in the morning, basically by myself, was a pretty incredible experience. And, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think you can top that. Yeah, right? I don't think you can. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that would have to be it. Well, Jim, we really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your uh, evening to, to come talk to us. Uh, before we let you go, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Uh, any any project other than Eat to the Beat? Any projects you're you're working on currently, or, or albums that may be coming out soon? Let, let our listeners know where absolutely. they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my uh, my my website is jimbrickman.com. And uh, all our socials you can find from there. I'm on all the usual places at Jim Brickman on Twitter and, and uh, Facebook.com slash Jim Brickman. Yeah, I have a brand new album that is coming out in three weeks. That's a Amazon exclusive. You can only get it on Amazon. And it's a brand new holiday album called On a Winter's Night. Oh. And has a beautiful collection of of my interpretation. I love Christmas music and mm -hmm. I never get tired of 
playing it or recording it. And this this album, On a Winter's Night, features incredible collaborations. I got to do a brand new song with Kenny Rogers that I wrote that he sings. And awesome. uh, nice. there's a duet with uh, John Oates from Hall and Oates. And nice. uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's a duet with a girl from Celtic Woman named Orla Fallon and John Tronis duet. There's a, a girl named Jana Kramer, who is a yeah. up-and-coming uh, country star who is just beautiful. She's on the album. So, uh, and Ann Cochran, who's going to be joining me at uh, East of the Beat. So it's um, it really is a, it's a great collection with lots of fantastic guests, guests and it's on pre-order right now on Amazon. I'm certainly going to pick it up. It sounds oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a great album. Oh, thank you. I'm a Christmas yeah. music fan anyway, yeah. too. So Yeah, yeah I am, too. After we get through Thanksgiving, cool. it's all I listen to is Christmas music around the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I do have to wait until Thanksgiving first, just because I, I feel wrong if I don't. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here is the second part of the episode. I'm really excited to speak with the frontman of the band who is closing out the Eat to the Beat concert series from November 8th through the 10th. Please welcome Scotty from the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy into the Tiki Hut. Now I'm the king of the swingers balls, jungle VIP. Well, I reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. How did uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy get started? Well, basically got started just like any other band, really. It just, um, I had an idea of what I wanted to do as a musician. I'd been working in Los Angeles. I'm from Southern California and was working in the studios and touring with bands and making records with other people and decided just to do my own thing. And the guys that I started the band with in that very early stage, they were all still the same guys that are in the band now. We just, I got really lucky with when I was meeting guys at that particular time looking to do something different, it was just meant to be, to be honest with you. It was like the perfect point in, um, you know, music history and that, you know, that day and age, and you guys got a big jump from the movie Swingers, and that's where I became a fan of yours. You know, that... Right. Because, you, know, you know, I'm an East Coast person, so I never... I You know, I'm not in the L.A. scene, music scene, so I didn't hear about you guys. So seeing Swingers, I remember going to... Seeing you guys in New York City just month, months after Swingers came out, and that was just, you guys had an incredible response from that film. What was that like, getting that boost from Swingers? It was pretty incredible. I mean, we were, we had been together for about five years before Swingers had come out, and we were just about to work on our third record, and we're playing our residency in at the Derby, and basically what you see that went on that night was shot live that, that night at the Derby. That was just a typical Wednesday night. Um, at the time, Favreau wasn't making movies and he wasn't he wasn't a big star yet. So at that point, he and I were very good friends. He just had me one night a script and bam, the rest is history. And for us, it was amazing because we had this really small underground following because we, like I said, we had two records out at that point and all we were doing is jumping in a van and, you know, playing from Wednesday to Monday anywhere we could. We'd go up the coast, down the coast, we'd go into Texas, we'd gone all over the place. And then when Swingers hit, it went from, you know, 300, 400 people showing up a night to, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. Just, it just kept going crazy. I fell in love with that film. So I was at the, I was the perfect age when that film came out. And I've always enjoyed, you know, swing music and jazz music, you know, blues. I was a big Sinatra fan. So your music always hit home to me. And I always appreciated 
the music that you guys have put out and, and how your albums have changed over the years. It's been a great it's been a, it's been a great run to listen to you guys as a fan. I appreciate that, man. That, I mean, that's really that's really what we're doing. I mean, we're really we're not trying to make the same record. We're not trying to do the same thing. And really, you know, hindsight is fifty fifty because if you think about it, Big Bad Daddy started officially started playing together in nineteen ninety one. And the number one song on the radio in nineteen ninety one was Smells Like Teen Spirit. To try That's to convince right. guys to play swing music when grunge and heavy like alternative music was the thing, you know, there there just was no scene. I kinda of feel like because I came from the punk rock world, I kinda of feel like that attitude was, I thought that would be the most punk rock thing you could do, is, is do a swing band in the middle of all this all this grunge and all this alternative stuff. And and to be honest with you, it, it was crazy because it was the music that I was hearing in my head anyway. You don't just all of a sudden one day decide, hey man, I'm going to start, I'm going to write swing music. You know, there's, right. there's some pretty big shoes to fill, really big shoes to fill. You know, the great but, thing about it is that you, you know, like you said, you, you come from the, uh, the punk rock you know, music, and you get a taste of that a lot of times when you close your shows from using Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit to close a show, and the audience always goes nuts. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that we do in there, and all of it is really sort of subliminal, you know? It's like right. sometimes we do Sweet Home Alabama. We do Sweet Home Alabama. It just depends on it, but there's kind of like a hidden tongue-in-cheek thing in there big time because, like I said, Smells Like Teen Spirit was the number one song, so we used to close with that back in the day because it would just be such a it's such an off thing to do at the end and, and then when I was a little kid and I, I used to play in like high school bands when I was 12 and 13 years old and and those guys all they ever wanted to play was Leonard Skinner where I'm from you know everyone's playing Sweet Home Alabama just like, and I swear to God I used to say God if I have to play Sweet Home Alabama one more time I'm going <laughs> to quit music for good we, we close we close with that song too and it's really it's just it's just a it's almost, you know, it's the exact opposite, I think, of what most people think it is. <laughs> right. In the 20-plus years that you guys have been performing and recording, how do you guys feel you've changed or grown the most in that time? I think we're getting more focused on what it is we do. I mean, I think that's because over time, I think what, what it's allowed us to do is sort of look at a broad scope of work, and, and we kind of have been able to get focused. It's like, okay, I know what we are, and I know what we aren't, and, and so... When I'm writing music or bringing music in, I'm constantly trying to challenge that amongst the band members. And anytime I write anything or anytime I bring something into the band, you know, I have to I have to run it by six other guys, you know, and, and I have to make sure that those guys are going to want to play that every night. And I, I don't want them to get up and just play it. I want them to play it, you know. And so I think it's really one of those deals where I think we're just maybe getting better at knowing what we do and, and how to challenge each other. So it's it's good every single night because that's that's the one thing that we've always tried to do. First and foremost is, is keep our live show at the highest quality possible. Right. Yeah, because your music is extremely infectious and it's just plain old feel good music. And you know that's the one thing I, I love about your your live music, your your record. I mean, granted, your, your records, you know, your studio records are are really good, but once you see you guys live, it's a whole different ball game. Can you tell us? Can you tell our listeners what people would expect to hear from you when you're performing live? You know, it's really it's 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 really wide open, and it, it's really the intention of our live show is to completely take you out of your space and transport you into into another space completely. And that space is usually really a good a good vibe because the music is really up. We try and keep the music up as much as possible, and and really it's it's a it's a it's a musical history. 
as well because in being together for so many years, 21 years now with all the original guys, and and it's it's like there's a music history that's that's gone in with this, and so I try to do everything from music from the late 1920s all the way up to you know what what was the last era of big band, which would have been probably like the 60s. So we're trying to we try to encompass that in everything we do as well as I mean it's just a it's a it's a clean show where there's no gimmick. It's just it's just nine guys on stage playing their hearts out and it's and it's it's fun and, and because we've been together for so long that there's something that happens within the feel of the music the groove that you can't really teach because it took us so many years to, to learn to play with each other and it took us so many years of playing the same songs over and over and over every night that something happened to, that with a band that's that big that's been together that long that plays as many times as a year as we do, that it's it's undescribable, and, and I I, it's, I think you hit it right in the head. It's our records don't come close to to what this, the live show is, and and that's what we've always been is we've always been a live band, and we make records because you have to make records, and that's how people hear you and promote by. But to be honest with you, our live show is really our bread and butter of what we do. Yeah, well, like America got a taste of it during Super Bowl Thirty Three, so you know you 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 your audience just jumped open, you know tens of millions of people. I mean, what was that experience like? It was amazing, you know, because, you know, let's, I mean, it's, it's crazy because you think about who plays the Super Bowl. Like, you, people that have number one hits play the Super Bowl. Like, that's, that's who plays the Super Bowl, you know? The Rolling Stones played the Super Bowl. We played with Stevie Wonder and Gloria Estefan. And at that time, Gloria Estefan was one of the biggest female artists in the, on the planet. With her Latin audience was so huge, and then her American audience was so huge. And then Stevie Wonder is, you know, I mean, he's royalty. So we right. were just dumbfounded because we never even had a radio hit. Like, our, we never had Go Daddy O, You Need the Ball Next Three, all the songs that were singles. Those songs were never, like, number one hits. So we were just like, wow, man, if, if they're going to allow us to play in front of this many people, bring it on. We'll just go for it and see what happens. Yeah, that was incredible. As a fan, that was, you know, that was great to see. So it was so much fun. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I, I got I got to be honest with you. It was totally amazing. And, and you know, you just... It's, it's a hard one to it's a hard one to, to figure out yourself, really, to be honest with you. Is there one album that would basically tell us your band's story represents you the best that you guys produced? Um, I don't know. It's that's a good point. I, I I don't know if there is. You know, I mean, I always hope that our last records are our you know our 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 best records and the right. ones. And I, I always think of every record because we've tried to make every record so completely different. I see every record as sort of a new chapter right. of a different direction that, that we're trying to take. You know, when Americana Deluxe came out, which was the record that had all the songs, that the, it would go to Adio that that'll put us to play the Super Bowl. Um, that record was, that was what we were playing at the Derby and the small clubs. And that was like our, that was our, that's the best that we had gotten up to that point. That was where we were. And then the album after that was basically just a, a reaction to all that success, you know, because it's no one prepares you for that, trust me. And right. then after that, you, just, you know, every record we did was sort of a, a reaction to the to the last record or to whatever was going on in our lives at the time, because we were doing close to 250 shows a, a year at that point. We were just, wow. we were just nonstop. We, all we were doing was playing, 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 playing. And, you know, I had just got it in my head that like guys like B.B. King and whatnot, that's how those guys... That's how the old school cats did it, man. They just went out and they solidified their live thing, you know. And so that's what we did. We just 
we just bit down hard and, and went for it. And uh, and thankfully it, it worked because we're still we're still here and we have a really we have a really committed uh, fan base that still wants to come out and hear us play music. Oh yeah. So you guys have done a lot with Disney over the years, from the Christmas Day Parade to uh, having a, a song on the the Wild soundtrack, and now to the Epcot E to the B concert yeah. series. How did your relationship with Disney start? It originally started with um, Swinger Soundtrack. The Swinger Soundtrack was on Hollywood Records. When Hollywood Records put the record out, um, they weren't doing any self-promotion for it because they they didn't know the movie was going to be a hit. So we started doing all these in-stores because the movie blew us up and, and we wanted to try to you know get as much promotion out of it as we could. So we started doing in-stores when record stores were still around and whatnot. And we would do all these things, and we were promoting this record, and the record caught on fire. And then somebody from the Disney office found out that we were doing that, and they were really, they were really very pleased that we were supporting this record and really going out and doing something about it. That we sort of connected a relationship at that point, and then from that point on, I'd say we usually do something pretty substantial with Disney every every couple of years. We're doing something pretty interesting and pretty fun, which is great. I love it because Disney is a Disney is a great company to, to be working with. Yeah, because you also, I know you're a big sports fan. I know that you did, you were the house band for the SB, SBs a few times, I think, correct, right? That is oh, correct, yeah, we did it, we did it two years. That must have been Go a ahead. great experience because you were, you know, in front of all these sports stars and celebrities, and I mean, that's just got to be, you know, that's, that's got to be a different experience compared to the Super Bowl. It was a totally different experience, and, and to be honest with you, it was so mind-blowing. It was probably the most mind-blowing thing that we've done we have done so many unbelievable things and this one i don't know this one was probably the the one of the top most intimidating things that we've ever done because here we are we're at radio city music hall we're playing on stage live and and we did it i mean we did everything i mean i was calling cues there was no music we just went for it i just knew what we were going to do and we just kind of went i call it flying without a net and we just went for it and sitting in the front row was every single number one athlete on the planet from every sport you could think of sitting there staring right at you front row man that was so completely intimidating it was it was unbelievable oh i bet i mean i just couldn't imagine it. i mean here's these guys who've won super bowls and nba championships and and you know the world series and here you are you know playing right in front of them it's, <laughs> it's, it's gotta be crazy <laughs> It was it was amazing. It was awesome, and and it was like you know that's when you really realize you know what you're made out of. Because trust me, you know you're you're like I said, you're flying without a net, man. You're just going for it. Right. And now you guys also performed on um, the Christmas the Disney Christmas Day Parade. And yeah. You, you you filmed that a few weeks beforehand, but did you happen to watch it uh, Christmas morning? I did. Yeah, the whole family. That's I, I never watch what we do on TV. Like I never. I never, I've never even seen the Super Bowl performance. I've seen Swingers once, and that was at the movie premiere when they were trying to sell it. I just never watch our stuff. I just, I don't, I, I it always like messes it up for me. So I kind of like remembering the the moment as it was, you know. Right. And uh, but this one, my kids were like, "No, Dad, we gotta watch it. We gotta watch it." So my whole family, they they recorded it on the DVR, and then and then when we all got together, my whole family, everybody got together, and we we watched it. And my kids were really young at that time too. So Phineas and Ferb, the song was for Phineas and Ferb. So right. Phineas and Ferb, my kids are more impressed that I knew Phineas and Ferb than pretty much anything <laughs> else I've done in my career. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's amazing how things like that happen. Like you could uh, you could perform for the president, but you know, you know, just because you yeah. you know you did something with Disney with Phineas and Ferb, you know, they love you more for that. It's amazing. It's a hundred percent true. I, we played for three presidents. I've met I've met our last three presidents, and 
it's classic that my kids have never even asked me like what, what was that like or I, you know, in one of the back rooms, I have some pictures of us with the president and, and whatnot. And my kids have never even asked me a question, but but, but trust me, Phineas and Ferb was. I got interrogated. <laughs> That's crazy. So what is it like performing at Epcot for the E to the B concert series as, as opposed to performing at other venues? I, I love the Epcot. And i got to be honest with you. I think that I look forward to that every year we do it. It is such an incredible event. When we first were doing it, you know, we'd always been either on the road a lot, so I never really got to enjoy it. But now I make sure that I go. I go every single day. I go try all the food. I walk around, and I have a, a really, really good time. And it's it's really, really fun. It's a great event because there's a lot of fans come to this. I mean, I get people all year long saying, see you in Epcot, see you in Epcot, see you wow. in Epcot. I mean, all year long. So really what it is is, it's a really good chance to, because I know what kind of experience they're having during the day because it's, you know, Epcot is really fun, especially for this, this, this event. And then they get there and they're listening to us and, and we play three times a day and it's just, it's really a, a really fun event. So there's a lot of people that repeat, people that come every year. And then it's cool too because then there's a whole boatload of people who have never even heard of us before and they get a chance to see us play on a, a, a number one stage. That stage is such a great stage. They do such a good job with the way they, they make that, that stage up and the way that they run that thing. It's just, I'm impressed every year that, that, that event is just run so well. So for me, it's really, it's one of the highlights, to be honest with you. Yeah, this is actually the, I've wanted to go see you guys down there perform so many times over the years. And this is actually the first time I'm going to be down there. It's the first time I'm going to be down there for Food nice. and Wine, but it's also going to be the first time I'm actually going to see you guys perform. So I'm really looking forward to that as a, as a big fan. So that's going to be a great show. Oh, cool. Yeah, you're going to dig it, man. It's, it's a, it is a great event, man. It's really fun. So do you have a favorite thing that you've done for the, uh, the Walt Disney Company? Would it be the ESPYs? Uh... The ESPYs was probably one of the most memorable things. Um, I'm trying to think. There's, we've done some. I had a really good time, to be honest with you, on that um, Christmas show that we did. Right. When we did the when we did the Christmas show, that was really fun, man. That was just like a really fun day because they we brought the fam, all of us brought our families down to Disneyland, and it was a beautiful day. The shoot went really smooth. I loved that song. It's such a fun song and. And I got to see the guys from Phineas and Ferb, and it was nice hanging out with them. And they were so; those guys are such great guys too. It was just really that was a really really fun day. My kids got to see me play and do something kind of fun and special. And I don't know, man, it was it was really awesome. I, I think that was a really fun one too for Disney. Yeah, well, your your Christmas shows really make you guys stand out. I mean, you're. I know you guys sell out those and people look forward to those all year long because it's not something that you're going to get in the middle of the summer. So, you know, your Christmas music, I mean, you've had two Christmas albums. Um, your most recent one was, yeah. what, I believe, last year or so. And, um, you know, they're That's always right. they're always popular. I love them. They're, I've taken people to see the Christmas shows and they're instant fans just from the Christmas shows. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, but the Christmas music is really, I mean, I just wanted to try and do something different with it, with a Christmas show because I mean when you go to a Christmas show usually Christmas shows when I was a kid I remember it was just always the same songs it was always the same thing and I thought man if we could just do something interesting and, and put a spin and maybe write a few original songs and, and and have there be some kind of fun and humor in there um, you know I just think that people would really enjoy that because people love their Christmas music I mean good God they they really do so it's been really fun trying to trying to do that. Our first Christmas record was primarily based on trying to write original music and then taking songs that no one had ever heard that were Christmas songs and try to do something fun and, and, and witty with them. 
And then on our second Christmas record, because we had already done something kind of quirky, our second record was this last one, It Feels Like Christmas Time, was really based on how much can we challenge ourselves and do something really different and really classy with this great genre of Christmas music by taking all the classics that we could that we thought would fit well into Big Ben's Buddha Daddy umbrella and do something interesting and fun with them. And, and I'm really proud of that record. I think it was a really that was a really fun record to make, and it was it was interesting because you know you have to make a Christmas record in in, in the summertime, right? And so trying to trying trying to do Christmas music in July in Southern California was was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's you know Christmas music, and you stand out. It's not like you're not just putting out another cover that you know 300 artists have done before you. I mean, your music stands out. It's completely different. It's not like everybody else's. So you know that's oh, what I love about yeah, it. Yeah, that's thank you, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. We we worked so hard. We worked so hard so that we wouldn't do anything that was in any tradition of anybody else that, that anyone had ever done before. And, you know, like I said, I, I feel really proud of that record. Also. Thank you. Um, so what's next for uh, Big Bad Buddha, Daddy? We're coming off of a five-year run where we made three records in five years, and we toured incessantly the entire time. So right now, this year, uh, 14, 2014, was a slowed-down year. We all, we all decided to take a step back and, and probably play, play half as many shows as we've done in the past. So for us, we're probably about doing about 100 shows this year, okay. and which is still a lot, but but it's it's we're just kind of slowing down. And then, really, what it's going to be is you know what what's the what's the next direction? Because if you just work 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 and you burn out, it's like, you know, there's I don't know you know what my motivation will be for it. So right now, I'm really on chill zone and just trying to think about anything. And, and I know that a new record and a new a new show is on the works for 2015. But as okay. far as 14 is concerned, we're just we're just going to be playing, laying low. I'm writing music right now, but I'm not I'm not pushing it. I'm just kind of seeing what happens. So the last uh, five questions I have are real quick. If you can answer them, that's great. Uh, sure. This is a Tiki Lightning round. This is all basically Disney parks related. Do you have a favorite snack that okay. you've had in the parks? A favorite snack? Well, French fries are my favorite snack, so I'm going to say French fries. All right. You have a favorite attraction? And I, I like the I like the French I like the French fries actually in. Uh, the animal park, to be specific. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, a favorite attraction? Um, I like Kilimanjaro. That's a great. Your uh, favorite trip. character? I, I, oh, sorry. My favorite character, uh, Minnie Mouse. Your favorite Disney movie? My favorite Disney movie is Jungle Book. Oh uh, yeah, from the uh, the uh, you get you had a song from there, which is a great song. Yep. Um, and your favorite Disney park is, memory? Does does, does Pixar um, does Pixar count for Disney? Yes. Yep. Oh, Toy Story then. All three. Uh, that's a great one. Yeah, the, you got to count those as I one. Have to say yep. Yeah, I count them all as one. So, Toy Story and, and Jungle Book—they're they're like tied. Perfect. Favorite uh, memory you... is that was a very favorite memory is by far the first time I went to Disney when I was a little kid, and doing the uh, doing the actual Jungle Boat ride. Oh no, sorry, Pirates of the Caribbean. Terrified, yeah. I was probably like five or four in L.A. at the Anaheim one, and and we did it, and I'll never forget. It. I was I was terrified until we got into the big room when they were firing the pirate ships. <laughs> and I'm sure now you'll. And I was it. good to go. Yeah. I I still I loved it. Right when we hit that point, I was like, oh, I love this. Right. And from that point on, I always torture the guys. Like, oh no, we got to go on pirates, man. I don't care. Let's just go. <laughs> Got to let the kid out you once in a while. Heck yeah, I, I always let it out. That's my problem. <laughs> All right, Scotty, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And um, 
You know, I look pleasure, forward man. to seeing your show in November. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. To find more about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, please check out their website, bbvd.com, and you can see tour information, music videos, and discography. And you can also check them out on Twitter at bbvd. That's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure to let us know what you thought. You can comment in the notes over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. You can email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. And you can leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Check out our store at Redbubble.com. And follow us on Twitter at Tiki Talk Podcast. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, Please take the time to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And you can find me at One Minute Disney Dream. That's 1-M-I-N, Disney Dream, on Twitter and MouseWorldVacations.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Daily, and online at DoleWhipDaily.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N-O-R-M-N-B, the number eight, and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean and Keith and our special guests, Scotty from Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Jim Brickman, I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha.
for Sean and Keith. Our special guests, Scotty from Big Bad Boot. Yeah, damn it. You guys <laughs> me up. I would have been fine if you hadn't said anything. God. Ah. I quit. I'm off the show. I'm going to Dixie Landings.